Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello, welcome, and thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and here again with me is Tim Cockrell. Tim's recent sermon entitled Truthful and Trustworthy, uh, which is based on Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, will be the focus of our conversation for the coming minutes. And Tim, in preparation for our discussion this week, now I counted, <laughs> I counted as many as 24 subpoints under your three main points and the summary. So, Somebody sat in that sermon, and they might say, wow, I didn't know being truthful and trustworthy could have so many tentacles. Help me out. <laughs> yeah, as I was going through the, the preparation for that particular message, there were two things that struck me. One was that the principle itself was actually very straightforward. You know, that Jesus is simply saying that our words ought to be honest, truthful, and trustworthy. We ought to be, have wholehearted integrity. And so I thought to myself, okay, then where does this text intersect with our lives? What's our struggle? And I think from my perspective, our struggle is recognizing the way that we do that without even realizing it. And so that's one of the reasons why we, we spent a, a while on all the different ways in which we may be actually lying or deceiving or misrepresenting the truth without realizing it. And so that covered a wide variety. But part of the reason, we'll talk about this maybe even later in the podcast, is that for many of us, we might look at the transparent command, you know, do not lie or, or keep your promises and say, well, that, this isn't an issue for me. But once we begin to look at the spectrum of situations that this applies to, I think there's probably a reflection of each of us in, in some of those. Well, and uh, if you were wondering, did I touch everybody? I think you got 99.9% .9 of everybody <laughs> in that uh, in that sermon or in the sanctuary that day. And, and to that point, Tim, I know when, you know, you know that I lead an ABF, an mm -hmm. adult Bible fellowship, and we meet before you. Mm -hmm. uh, so, our, of course, as I've said before, we're, we're always wondering if you're going to say the right thing that we've already <laughs> determined in our class. But but in all seriousness, one of the things we tried to do in our adult Bible fellowship, because I'm, I'm thinking the same thing, okay, how are we going to fill a half hour to 45 minutes of, of teaching and discussion? Mm -hmm. Don't lie. It's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. One of the things we, we set out to do is to glean from the scriptures what goes into the concept of truth. What mm -hmm. is truth? That's not an insignificant question in today's world. Right. We focused on the Gospel of John, which is full of truth statements. It was interesting to me. I'd never noticed this before, never done this search, but going through Strong's Concordance, there's no doubt who talks about truth more uh, specifically using the word truth. So we're hearing phrases, you know, saying Jesus was the way that, or is the way, the truth and the life. He's full of grace and truth. Uh, talks about worshiping in spirit and truth. Says he would send the spirit of truth. And, of course, he prayed in the high priestly prayer there in John 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. So these are all things we looked at. These truth statements from Scripture, so what do they tell us about this concept of truth? I think really it focuses on the fact that God is the source and the standard of truth. Again, the idea of what truth is is pretty straightforward, that it accurately reflects ultimate reality. And so God is ultimate reality. He's the source of all things. He's the creator of all things. He's the one who designed all things. And so therefore, not only does God declare what is true, so his word is true, for instance, but that it is impossible for God to lie, Titus tells us. 
therefore we can trust what he has to say, that God's not going to, to make a promise that's deceptive or his word's not going to present something that actually is going to be later on proven to be false. And so I think that this is important because as, as Jesus talks about sanctifying them in truth, that the way we do that is by being, being rooted in our relationship with God. And that as we study his word, we ought to be transformed into truthful people. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to say here is kingdom citizens ought to be marked by this transparent, wholehearted trustworthiness so that you're not sitting there saying, is that really the whole story? I wonder what they're not telling me. Are they selectively presenting certain information to cast themselves in a better light? But rather, there is light and no darkness in the words that we're speaking. And so I think that's where the connection is, that if God is the source and standard of truth and we are rightly related to him, then we also ought to be marked by truthfulness in our words, but also in our behavior. It's not uncommon for us to hear the phrase or something like this phrase. Oh, I'm sorry. Your truth is not my truth. Speak to it. Yeah. Well, I think the idea there would be that truth is, is relative to our emotions or our experience. Um, so in, in conversations about how we know what is true, Throughout history, there have been different things that have been at the the center stage of truth, if you will. There are many things on the stage, you know, so tradition, for instance, reason, emotions, experience. And for we as Christians, we would put scripture at the front of that stage. But like the Roman Catholic Church would put tradition right next to scripture, maybe even a little bit ahead of scripture um, as authoritative um, during the Enlightenment you would have reason that then would become the, the center stage that, hey, tradition and scripture maybe would be a consideration, but if it doesn't hold up to reason, we're not going to accept it as authoritative. But what we find in our modern context is the stage has almost been completely emptied except for emotion and experience. And so I think when somebody says, well, that's your truth, but not my truth, we have to recognize what's going on behind that is that there's an authority that they're looking to that is the arbiter of truth. And so ultimately, that's where we draw them back to the Bible of Jesus as the source and standard of truth, whether they are willing to acknowledge it or not, that it doesn't matter how I feel, God is true. And therefore, I submit to it or I resist it, but I don't get the prerogative to edit or redact it based on what makes sense to me. In my preparation for my class, I ran across a poll, a Pew Research poll, uh, taken back in 2018, as I as I recall. And that that poll, they they asked the question: When you are making a decision, what a hard decision, specifically a moral decision or a morality decision, what is the one place you go to first? And amongst those that they determined to be born again Christians or put in that box or that uh, designation, only 26% named the Bible Mm -hmm. as the first. It was uh, often what we, what they were taught in church, Mm -hmm. but not the Bible. Uh, Maybe what my parents saw me, how I felt about it. And interestingly, and of course that was upside down quite a bit for those Mm non-believers or people who would not identify, I should say, as, as a born again Christian, Um, even within the church. That tells me if that is true, and I think it, probably, it could be in, in general, tells me that the Bible is not the standard. How can we as a church do a better job of continuing to develop that understanding that the, his word is truth? Right. Well, I think it comes down to are we infusing everything that we do with our convictions about Scripture? 
its inerrancy, its sufficiency, its authority. Somebody ought to be able to come into grace, never having visited before, come into a service, go to an ABF, and walk away. And they ought to say, even if they don't really know anything about Christianity, they ought to say, man, the Bible's a really big deal here. Like they they seem to really focus a lot on what the Bible has to say. If all that, if that was all they came away with, that would feel like a win. And so I think we also have to recognize what are some of the things that might undermine our view of God's authority or the sufficiency of his word. Sometimes that secular science that we look at and say, well, that seems really convincing or, or maybe the Bible isn't sufficient for this really complex or difficult situation. Sometimes it's a matter of just, I don't believe what the Bible says because my experience doesn't fit it. And so when, when those two come into conflict, I'm going to side with my experience rather than the other. And that's where discipleship comes in. It's not going to be just a, hey, I taught you this theological concept. And from that point on, you never have to struggle with whether God's word is the authority in your life. But rather, you constantly are evaluating what things are competing for that role in my life. And wouldn't you agree, people recognize when you're speaking from the scripture, from scriptural principles versus when you're just, uh, yeah. And you and I have heard preachers, you're, praise God, not one of these, who get up and they just, it's a lot of platitudes. I have had two uh, dear believers in the past two weeks, no, I guess it's been the past week and a half, who have shared with me about their sermon from their from this mm-hmm. within the past two Sundays. Both of them said, "Oh, it was straight from the scriptures, mm-hmm. and they loved it. It was it was a gospel, you know, it was a presentation that was based on the Bible." Mm-hmm. And they both said that specifically because I know they don't always hear that mm-hmm. in their churches. Yep. Well, and I think that's where we want to even preach the sufficiency of scriptures. Because if I tell you. Scripture is sufficient, but then I get up and spend 80% of my time just giving you my opinions and perspectives and stories and illustrations. Well, I'm actually communicating something very different than what my formal theology would suggest. So the Sheridan family, Sunday, we went home after church. We had a nice beef roast ready in the in the crock pot. It was, uh, and so we ate roast beef, not that other kind of roast that we often eat. Uh, people often eat on Sunday. You know yeah, what that roast is? Pastor roast, roast is not preacher. nearly as fun. That's right. So uh, the discussion quickly turned to the sermon. So here here was one thought that I'm sure was discussed at more than one family gathering. One of my family members said, "Okay, so." What should one do regarding truth when, when the truth will bring harm to someone else? And they mentioned warfare, slavery, the Holocaust, and, and other similar discussions. There are examples in the Bible of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. What, how do we deal with that? Man, this is not an easy question. And I, I'm. You I'll, knew we were going to go here. Come on, right. Carl. Well, and, I, and I'll confess, <laughs> I'm not sure I have an advanced enough ethical framework to be able to speak with great precision on this. So, with, with that kind of as a caveat, the first thing I would say, and this is just a, a, a loving caution, I think we're in danger of doing exactly what Jesus warns us not to do here, to where we say, okay, then where's the edge? Like, like how, how do I look for these exceptions? Because Jesus warns even related to like the issue of divorce. Yes, divorce is going to happen sometimes, but if you're focused on what are the exceptions, you maybe miss the rule. With that being said, I understand the spirit of the question, and that is... I want to be faithful to this, but I don't understand 
how do I navigate faithfulness to the truth in some of these complex life situations? And so if we start off by recognizing this is the exception, not the rule. Like most of the time, we're not going to be faced in a situation where I feel like I have no choice but to lie. You know, the Nazis are knocking on the door saying, are you hiding any Jews here? And I, I have to make that decision. So you mentioned a couple of the, the biblical examples. You know, I think about the midwives, for instance, in Exodus chapter one, when um, they allow the Hebrew babies to live and Pharaoh confronts them. And uh, they say, well, the Hebrew women just are so vigorous. They give birth before we ever even get there. First of all, we don't know for sure whether that was true. Maybe part of their design was, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to be slow to get there such that, you know, hey, the, the baby's already born. Uh, secondly, even if it weren't true, there's no endorsement of their method, but rather of their faith, mm-hmm. you know, so that they're, they're trusting God, they're preserving life. And, and that's a good thing. In the same way, Rahab, um, for instance, when she hid the spies, we, we see that story in Joshua, she isn't commended for lying. She's commended for the faith of this pagan woman who really had very little understanding of who God was, who trusted him enough to put her neck on the line to preserve them. And so I think what we have to do there is at least say, we can't determine definitively from these texts, well, that means sometimes lying is okay. Yeah, I just think that would be a stretch. And the reason why I think that's a danger is if we say there are circumstances in which a lie is justified then at least theoretically or philosophically, that would mean God could lie to us and have it still be consistent with his character. And I would struggle with that because, you know, yes, we live in a broken world and yes, there's all these different things, but I keep coming back to the the scripture we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that says, God will not put us in a situation, in a temptation, without also giving us a means of escape. I don't know what that's going to look like in every situation, and I trust that there's grace there even if we we make a decision that is outside of his will in that. But I would tend toward the side of the equation that would say, I'm not going to start listing out here are the exceptions as to when we can lie. Now, there are there is a kind of line of thinking that would say, we are only required to tell the truth if someone doesn't have evil motives, basically. So if, if somebody says, hey, where's this person so I can go do something awful to them, you know, mm-hmm. like the Nazis and the Jews, or if um, someone wants to hurt one of my children and they're in the bedroom and I can say, no, nobody's here. Well, I understand that. But again, that feels like we're beginning to to justify, based on the exception, a, a breaking of the rule that makes me uncomfortable. And, and going along that thought... Um, <laughs> There are decisions we have to make in the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, I think back to Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the king said, for what do you make requests? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I mean, that's all I could do. I didn't <laughs> yep. know. And, and there were some ramifications if he were sad or said the wrong thing to the king. But don't you think that just seeking to live a right life, being ready always, uh, you know, in that context of First Peter 3, or ready to give an answer to any man, ask mm-hmm. you a reason to hope that's in you, but being ready always to respond appropriately. And if in our sinfulness we, we, we miss it, I think we got to give her. And, and what you said, and then and I, and I appreciate it also, what Ron Smith said mm. following up, said, you know what? God is a God of grace. Yes. And 
He's always there. First John one nine. Mm-hmm. You you you. First John one eight. I believe it was. Mm-hmm. First John one nine is so important. Yes. Look, live righteous lives, but don't. It's almost like it's almost as if to say, don't sweat the small stuff. I know that's not exactly what it's saying, but live. Look in the big picture. Right. Well, and to frame it a different way, if if the one percent of the situations are the times where you feel like. I don't know if I have any choice. Let's focus on the 99% of the times where we have daily decisions to be people of honesty and integrity. And if in those small everyday decisions, we are marked by the character of integrity and honesty, then when that rare exception comes, I'm going to trust that we are going to be well equipped to speak with grace and truth. And you brought Peter into that discussion. Mm-hmm. I mean, Peter, we give Peter the business, let's face it, <laughs> we, when we discuss his refusal to acknowledge his relationship to Jesus. But, but you really brought it home. Peter, can we say he's really a type of all of us all the time, <laughs> at any given time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think where that specifically lands for me personally is that so many times the lies that we speak are born out of fear. Fear of consequences, fear of circumstances, that, that our heart kind of gets gripped, our throat starts to close, and we reach for a lie because it feels like the most expedient way to alleviate the pressure. And, and so if I know I've done something wrong, but all of a sudden someone confronts me, it feels like the easiest way to just deny it or to to kind of try to skirt around it in the same way. If I'm in a situation where I feel like, man, to tell the truth is going to make my life really difficult, I might be prone to try to soften it or, or evade it in some way. But I think that's where it's important to get to the why of why we lie, not just the how. Because if only if all we do is focus on the how, we become behavior modifiers. We become sin managers. Like, well, I'm going to make sure that I don't say the wrong words here. But if we don't deal with the heart level, just like we talked about with anger, we haven't actually gotten to the heart of what Jesus is saying, I think, in this passage. Yeah, and that, and, and go back to it. We said this before. That's the theme of this whole section of mm-hmm. chapter 5 about the the heart, mm-hmm. not, not the not the actions, although the actions obviously come from the heart. And, and you mentioned uh, you know, you mentioned the concept never having to teach your children how <laughs> to how to lie. They know that very well. It's a kind of inborn in the sin nature. But our culture does make it easy to lie. In fact, mm-hmm. even encourages it sometimes. Uh, we can we can talk about a number of different types of things there. But living a life of integrity, regardless of how we, we interact or don't interact with the greater culture, really does go back to that whole idea, again, of discipleship, doesn't it? Right. Well, and I think that's a, a key point to draw out here. We've talked about this series being the upside-down kingdom. Mm-hmm. Jesus intended for this to be countercultural living. He recognizes that our society is so filled with dishonesty that he actually had to allow in the law the provision for oaths before God so that you could say, okay, maybe this guy's actually telling the truth this time. And so I think what Jesus is pointing us to here then is that if we are living a life of integrity, that we are going to stand out from our culture. But that means we have to identify how much of the culture has pervaded our hearts has shaped our minds, has transformed our desires. Because it becomes very easy to justify when we look at somebody else in our culture and say, well, they lied on their resume. And so if I'm going to compete with them, I need to lie as well. Or we'll look at their their social media. It's not like they're being authentic and transparent there. So why would I live a life of reality? But I think 
the challenge then is as we do that hard work of transformational discipleship, you talked earlier about how when someone's actually speaking from the word of God, there's an authority that that conveys that you recognize as different than an individual's opinion. In the same way, when someone's living with a genuine relationship with God, in which it transforms them into someone who is true and trustworthy, people notice. Whether it's in your business, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's you're a soccer coach or a school board member or whatever it might be, people say there's something different about that person's character. Because when they tell me something, I just believe it. Whereas when I get emails that tell me I won $1,000 or when I get an offer, I'm always looking for what's the catch? Like what's the, the trick? And it breeds us in a cynicism that I think allows us as Christians to really shine as, as shining lights in a dark world. Back to the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Part of that discussion just goes right with what you're saying. Um, two of my uh, two of my children have been, one is still, and the other has been uh, employed by the largest employer in our area. Mm-hmm. And they said, if you are not stretching the truth or just some, maybe even downright, you can't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's, I think they said it's hard to get anywhere. Yep. What you're saying though, uh, that's not the arbiter. That's not the, that's not the line that we're reaching for. Absolutely. Well, and if all we're looking for is, is worldly success, mm-hmm. maybe that statement would be true. Although I tend to think that the way God designed things is the way it works, whether you're a believer or a non-believer. And so I think that if you're somebody who in, has integrity, you are going to find yourself giving, given opportunities and responsibilities. And quite honestly, if you have to stretch your integrity to get into a particular position, it probably is going to be a position that's going to require you to continue down that particular road. Talk about destruction of testimony. Mm-hmm. Wow. Someone comes up to you. You hit this somewhat at the top of the of our discussion, but here they say, "Tim, you know, none of what you said. I, I really have great struggles with. I mean, I think I've done a pretty good job. I I'm sensitive to telling the truth, and I really don't struggle with those any of those. Maybe you know, up to twenty four areas. Sure. But how do you encourage that individual? What do you say to that individual? I've got some thoughts in my mind. I want to yeah, hear what yeah. your thoughts are. Well, I think there are enough different places in the Bible where, I mean, you can look at the references, and I shared a number of them on Sunday, where over and over and over again it warns, God hates a lying tongue and he loves the truth. God hates deception. Don't break your vow. Um, fulfill what you promised that you would do. That whenever we see Scripture address a topic like that that many times, we ought to probably just pause and say, this is probably an issue for me in ways that I do or don't realize. Money would be another situation where some people say, I don't really struggle with greed or I don't really struggle with um, those types of things. Well, if you look at how many times the Bible talks about money, it suggests you probably do whether you realize it or not. And so I think sometimes people think I don't struggle with dishonesty because I don't break my promises. Mm -hmm. And maybe they do. Maybe they're really careful about what they promise. But that's one of the reasons I wanted to explore some of the more specific and maybe even more subtle ways that we tend to lie is because sometimes we actually live a lie. Mm-hmm. And if I can be presumptuous, if somebody comes to me and says, I don't really struggle with this, I'm going to guess that their struggle is more along the lines of the Pharisees, that they, they're working hard on the external, the extreme commands of Jesus, 
but that they're ultimately concealing some of the hard attitudes that Jesus is trying to address. And so it's not enough to just say, well, I'm not lying. The question is, what are the ways in which I'm failing to live with transparent truthfulness and wholehearted integrity? And as we pray, God, show me that he will, and he'll convict us of those things. And the one other thing I want to just say is, just as you might have some people that would say, well, I don't struggle with this at all. There might be somebody on the other extreme that is so scrupulous, so eager to please the Lord that they begin to second guess everything. Yeah. You know, well, I just did a head fake playing basketball at noon and, <laughs> and I'm afraid that maybe I've sinned against God by <clears throat> to that person. I would say if your conscience is so sensitive in those ways, rest in the fact that God is primarily concerned with your heart to deceive and not how you maybe could have accidentally misled somebody by, you know, some rare situation. And if you have, let's just say more than two children, the chances are in your family, uh, parents and children, you probably have both extremes or or at least something approaching that. I think back to times when uh, the, in athletics, when the call went my way, but I knew it was the wrong call. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't touch that bag before the ball got there, or Mm -hmm. I knew that. And honestly, there was a sensitivity to that such that, Oh, I don't want to lie. So uh, I think it probably happened more than once that I said to the referee, they didn't change their call. Right. But, but to that point, that's not my decision. That's Correct. a referee. Correct. I mean, you know, get into those little picky things. But mm-hmm. uh, Okay, good. Well, Tim, next week we're going to be moving on here in Chapter 5. We're going into a, a whole other dynamic, mm-hmm. another, uh, I'll call it anecdotal uh, mm-hmm. evidence that Jesus is pointing to of the redeemed and growing believer. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so we're actually going to go through all of Chapter, the rest of Chapter 5 all oh, the way through good. verse okay. 48. Good. Um, the reason for that is because as we look at Jesus has been giving these contrasts, the next two contrasts, in my opinion, are two sides of the same coin. So on the one hand, he says, do not take vengeance, essentially. So you've heard it said, eye for an eye, but I'm telling you, don't don't go after justice, look to extend mercy. And then from there, he says, you've heard it said that you are to love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. I'm telling you, you actually need to love those that your heart is prone to despise. And then he kind of concludes with this summative statement in verse 48 to, to be perfect or to be complete, perhaps is a better translation of the Greek word there, as your heavenly father is. And I think in all of that, he's pointing back to what does it look like to live with the righteousness of Christ and that the disciple of Christ is empowered to live his love. And that leads us to resist certain temptations, Mm -hmm. to retaliate or even to assert our rights for our selfish benefit, and to pursue God-like character who himself loves us as his enemies, who himself extends grace to the undeserving. And so we're going to see kind of both of those, which I think captures even, if you remember the bullseye diagram that we've given, it's not just a matter of avoiding retaliation, but pursuing a heart of Christ-like love. Great, great. Well, once again, thanks for your great work, and uh, thanks for a, a good message from God's Word this past week. We've been digging deeper today with Tim Cockrell, and we invite you to share your questions and your comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our study of God's Word in Matthew through the end of Chapter 5. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. 
Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.